Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Yes, Indeed podcast. I am always, except for when I'm being weird, Brian Computer. And I'm Ben Zeiger, even when Brian is being weird. <laughs> That's true. We're pretty unidirectional. <laughs> we have a good podcast this week, I think. We have the six topics that we've chosen out of a hat to talk about randomly are uh, Temporum and Time Stories is one topic where we're going to talk about time traveling and board games. Uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights, which is a giant choose-your-own-adventure board game. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep, which is one of the best intro board games ever. Uh, I'm going to talk about concerts briefly. So this week I saw The Wombats, San Fermin, and The Killers. Then we're going to talk uh, video beep boops and do Hand of Fate 2. And then also talk a bit more about visual novels in Butterfly Soup and Dream Daddy. Am I missing anything, Ben? Uh, not really. We might have a special guest star at the end, though. So <sighs> hold your hold your horses until we get there. Pause your horses. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's like the podcast without the laughing. It's like the film set without the gaffing. It's like the gaffing without the shocking. It's like the leaving your kids at home without the locking. It's like the locking without the key. It's like the flinging your poop without the monkey. So we, we had a board game Sunday. And woo, woo. and we had people come over. And uh, we, we decided to try to change things up a bit and curate the games a little more. Because we felt like it was kind of overwhelming for folks because there are sometimes too many options. A train without tracks is dangerous. <laughs> Thank you, Sun Tzu. Um, so uh, we, we then got up in front of everybody and gave them <laughs> options. And one thing that we uh, got from everybody in terms of a direction on what they wanted to do was we just had a bunch of people who were kind of sci-fi nerds who just really, were really excited about um, a couple of board games that were about time travel. So we kind of split off into two crews. You you took one group with you and played one set of games. We did not time travel. You did not time travel, but we'll talk about your experiences in just a sec. Um, or, and we'll talk about your experiences. Um, uh, well, at the same time, I, I took a, a, a group through time in the form of two games. One is Temporum, and the other is Time Stories. So... Each of them are uh, thematically about time travel in some way, shape, or form, but they're incredibly different board game experiences. And the group that I was with really felt that in a major way. So Temporum is basically a game in which uh, the objective is basically there are uh, different time travelers who are all attempting to have the most influence in the present day world. And they do that by traveling back through time and sort of using the butterfly effect, changing things such that they have more influence in the modern age. And mechanically how that works is it's a lot of um, kind of just building an engine for basically scoring victory points. Uh, uh, a bit of context here is yeah. that Temporum was designed by Donald X. Vicarino, mm -hmm. who um, folks in the... Folks might not know that name, but he's the designer of um, Dominion, which is one of the most popular board games of all time. It's one, basically the first deck builder, um, which is the idea that basically you, when you buy things and when you buy them, they go into your deck, and then your deck becomes the things you bought, which helps you buy more things. And it's this really cool engine where you, you've built something and you, um, it's a really cool design. And I think some of that definitely comes into Temporum, which, because it's basically about like figuring out which cards are better than other cards and using them for their own purpose or using them for scoring because every card lets you do two different things. Yeah, and it's not quite as intense in terms of the, the complexity of the engine as something like Dominion. Correct. Um, it's a lot more kind of like intro level, user-friendly, simple. Mm -hmm. um, and the other really, really cool piece of it is uh, on a turn, you first can 
adjust, like influence time. And there's this really wonderful section of the board that basically shows uh, a set of four different ages or like time uh, segments. And then within that, you have control to either keep things the way that history actually happened or change it to a different kind of flow of time uh, down a tree. So if you're hanging out in like the Roman Empire, you change something and it and then it might the industrial revolution might become the great depression exactly um so uh that that's uh first thing you do and then the second thing you do is travel through time and then you get to kind of do whatever that area allows you to do and definitely the the first that first thing you do is definitely the coolest part and also unfortunately the least consequential thing Mm. you end up doing um you can do it and you might get like marginal benefits um, but it doesn't impact the game so much as it being like a really cool thing. Right. And that kind of gets to the heart of what the experience was like for the folks that I was playing with, because they were really, I, I had sort of sold the game as this like travel through time and influence the course of history in order to, to have more power in the present day. And that feels like this very like high stakes, exciting experience where in reality, it's much more of this like number crunchy simple kind of uh relative value assessment of like how how good is this card at getting me money versus letting me spend the money to get victory points and that's basically the whole game um and it's kind of like random luck about what cards you get and when you get them and how you use them and there's like small amounts of strategy but it's hard to plan ahead because things kind of change a bunch between turns and uh and yeah, the, the the kind of context for the game is very different than the actual experience of the game, mm-hmm. um, which which is interesting because again, like I I got a lot of people who are very sci-fi nerd oriented really excited about it from the time travel component, um, and then once it got into the groove of things, you know, they they enjoyed it. It was a nice kind of you know, light math driven game, but at the same time. It wasn't exactly what they were looking for from a time travel experience. Um, so that's sort of where the other game steps in. <laughs> yeah, and and to be like, yeah, it, it, it might... Because my impression, if I had just listened to us talking about it, I'd be like, oh, they're kind of down on Temporum. But I think it's just... Um, I mean, the reason I have such a big board game collection is that a lot of times I want to have like a specific game for a specific like mood or like group of people. So that's a really that's a really fun one to do when once once you know how to play it, it only takes like half an hour. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty quick game. Um, it's pretty simple, so you don't have to like you're not gonna get analysis paralysis playing this game. Yeah, um, it's fairly simple. And again, even though the theme isn't like ever persistent in your face and constantly there of like oh yeah time travel, it is. It's still like the it's a it's a better theme board game than most. Um, so it's pretty cool. Definitely, yeah. Right. There are moments that feel awesome. Yeah. And then also, if, if there are people who are oriented toward, like, again, if, if it's the kind of people who sort of like something like Monopoly, you know, where they're, they're doing some kind of math and, like, currency exchange for winning the game or whatever, like, this is basically a much more strategic version of that that's, like, way more user-friendly, way more simple, way more fast yeah if you like race for the galaxy and want something simpler Mm -hmm. i think this is a cool one yeah but um if you want to deliver someone that pure rush of like time traveling and stuff whole time stories so so time stories is also interesting because uh time stories is a game that basically you you can only play it once it's not like a a very mechanically driven game it's a very story driven game kind of like the escape the rooms that we've talked about before yeah um, except more oriented towards role-playing, even though it has puzzle elements to it. Um, so the premise of that is basically just you are in the future, there's some strange stuff that's been happening with time, you're a private time travel company, and every time you fail at the game, you're kind of costing your company money, and they don't like that. Bob, Bob in particular, is your supervisor. Who has a funny face. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but basically, your, your objective is to kind of go through time to all of these different scenarios that they've developed and try to keep the the sanctity of the timeline intact um so each each scenario is this kind of deep dive into a very specific world and the the board is gorgeous it's so clean and and 
organized and every time you go into a room the cards come out and kind of form a picture and then you choose where in the picture you want to go and that affects what's on the card when you read it so it's it's a little bit um more of a again role-playing kind of dungeons and dragons sort of like it's game. more heavy on story than it is on mechanics for yeah sure. absolutely um and each each of the the scenarios feels very different from all the others mm -hmm. and um exciting and adventurous on its own and it really is the kind of game that lets you enjoy the people around you a lot both for like thinking through strategy and for role-playing stuff um, it also has an interesting thing where the first time through it's more of a role-playing experience and the second time through it's more of a puzzle game because you've gotten some knowledge on what you're supposed to do and then you can kind of figure out tactically okay which characters are the best to help us what's the best pathway to take um, and it's just like incredibly well designed and, and well written um, and it's cool. It's yeah. so again, uh, we've talked about Unlock, which is a series of Escape the Room games that's designed by the same people who do time stories as a game. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it's really cool and indicative. Like you'll, you'll see some puzzles that are kind of like Escape the Room style thinking puzzles, mm -hmm. but because they're encountered and where, wherever you happen to find them in this like time loop, they they're almost they're like cooler, almost like cooler and more thematic. Yeah. Um, and they also let you fail in this so that i think that lets them do some things that they wouldn't otherwise do in an escape the room puzzle mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean it's it's really cool i think what ben touched on a little bit but is so awesome about this is you buy the base game you can play it one time it's this very specific thing and then when you play the expansions everything is super different yeah because they they're like in ancient egypt or like in a high fantasy setting and once you take up it's not just like taking the setting and putting it somewhere else like the very mechanics of the game change when they do that and it's so cool to have one basic thing that you know and love and then see it implemented in a completely new way in some com some other completely different idea mm. seeing people pull that and execute that is amazing because again like we should reiterate time stories is one of those games where ben and i have some of our best board gaming memories from this game yeah certainly So, while I was traveling through time in a couple of different contexts, mm -hmm. you were venturing into another world. Yes, the world of the Arabian Nights, you could say. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this game is so cool. I remember hearing the pitch for this game and my mind just exploding. So basically, Tales of the Arabian Nights, the way it works is, the whole pitch of this game is that it comes with this big, like, t t a thousand page book, basically of stories where um on your turn you're going to move around this map of like the arabian peninsula and like stuff around it um you have a goal so it's like am i trying to find love or find my sister or defeat the creature or something like that um but that's just more or less so you have a reason to move around on the board but moving around the board generates these encounters so um you on your turn you'll like flip over a thing and then it'll say like wizard and then someone will look up and then you'll discover that you've met a friendly wizard. And then you get to choose whether you want to grovel at the friendly wizard or attack, uh, attack or aid or seduce. Yeah. And you, there's like <laughs> 10 options with anything you meet. Um, and then based on whatever you choose, there's a corresponding paragraph of text, except there isn't one corresponding paragraph of text. There's three corresponding paragraphs of text. Um, and, all of them are like very story rich, like set up um, to be dynamic so that like who, whoever that thing happens to be. So like if you encountered a giant fish and you decide to um, hide or whatever, then yeah, you don't really know what's going to happen. It, it definitely is impacted by what you do, but it's all like kind of random. So you just kind of basically choose the thing that you think is the most fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you go throughout this, you're trying to collect, you know story and um destiny of like those are the main concepts you're playing with in this game um but for the most part you're just going around to like have a nice time and like oh yeah i see a, a genie that's down on their luck i'm going to try to trick them and then the game punishes you <laughs> for trying to trick the afrit um <laughs> it's just really lovely and we ha we had some like really nice 
encounters and i feel like you always do where even when you are uh like completely like put on the streets you're like a poor poor penniless beggar in that game and you're thrown into jail and stuff like that it's still fun to watch everyone else do really well and to just even if you're like oh i wish i could do something it still ends up being kind of funny where you're like you try to persuade the guard you the guard is not no interest in what you're saying he's too hungry and you're like oh god no <laughs> um and you just like collect statuses and skills while you're playing through this game and skills are really cool in it because uh let's say you gain the skill of seduction so now whenever someone reads a paragraph and there's an option to to like use the skill seduction they'll stop reading they'll be like do you want to use seduction or not and you're like absolutely i want to use seduction uh, and then you get a completely different story tidbit based on who your character is specifically. Which is not always good. It's not yeah. always good to be seductive in any <laughs> given situation. Right. Um, but it's, it just adds this whole other layer of like, there's already so many different permutations of like, I haven't heard a story read twice more or less in my entire playthrough, even when people encounter the same things. But also, even if I did, there'd be different skills, so it might not even be the same. Yeah, it's it's definitely got a lot of replay value. So, unlike Time Stories, which is a one-shot <laughs> that's very story-driven, Tales of the Arabian Nights is, you know, it's got so many permutations that can play out in so many different ways that every time you play it, it is another Tale of the Arabian Nights. You know, it is this, like, adventure that can take any any number of twists and turns throughout. Um so my my experience of Tales of the Arabian Nights from from previous times that I play it is it like just barely doesn't check all my boxes, which is really interesting to me uh -huh. um, because I tend to like games that are either very uh, kind of mecha mechanically driven um, uh, or stuff that's very experience driven but with some kind of structure. And Tales of the Arabian Nights is very kind of freeform story where you kind of just like do things and then are are whisked away on on these wild adventures um but it's not it's not tactical you know mm -hmm. um which which is interesting because it, it makes it a much more accessible experience for people who don't like heavy strategy games but still like stories um so uh my mom for instance uh, I, I haven't played this with her, but this would be something that I think she would enjoy a lot because mm -hmm. it's so folklore based and you don't have to be like a super game driven person to really enjoy it. Um, uh, and at the same time for me, it's it's not quite structured enough to be a compelling story experience like Time Stories is. Um, and it's also not quite gamey enough to be like a satisfying game strategic experience. And it... It checks my boxes because for me, I'm I'm all about like moments. So the mm -hmm. game is just like one giant like moment to moment, really cool things happening. It also I also really like it because I think in a lot of a lot of games like this that focus so much on story, a lot of the storytelling is put on the players to be like either creatively fill in the gaps in their head or to creatively like make part of the story. Mm -hmm. But this game is it like tells you all of it, so. You're choosing what to do, but even the outcome isn't based on the... It, the outcome is... Okay, rewind a bit. It is based on what you do, but it, I mean, you don't have a ton of agency. So, like, you might it might be you encounter, like, a strange custom, and then you choose to, like, honor it or, uh, like, run away or whatever. You don't know what that strange custom is until you start reading the paragraph, and you're like, oh, and a person was, like, uh, looking at a diamond in the ground. And I have chosen to steal the strange customs because I was like, that's kind of funny. I have stealing. So then I ended up stealing a giant diamond that all the poor people were going to use as leverage against the evil wealthy people. And then I ran away. And then I had a giant diamond. <laughs> so, but, but other times, you know, stealing it might end up being something that helps a bunch of poor people. Right. Or stealing it might be something that gets you caught. And So you're really just, you're along for the ride. Yeah. But I think it... It does light up my imagination, though, at the end of the day, because these little story moments, I love that they're all just to my character, and then I, I love putting that on, like, Alibaba or, like, whoever the person is. Um, and, yeah, it's it's super cool because people end up being so insanely different. Like, mm -hmm. um, 
one of the people we were playing with the very first turn they got scorned by the lord and had to go on a pilgrimage immediately and then uh another person immediately uh got married and then had to avoid cities because of the way that the get the game works is uh if you go to a city then you have to go to your home city with your wife and kids uh before you're allowed to go to another city so Mm. they were like oh god I don't want to go to a city because then I'll have to go back home. Um, and then I, I was just, I was a vizier. I was on the path to become a sultan. You know, life, life was good. So it's super different for everybody. It's really cool. Mm. And again, it's not, it's not crunchy in the same way that some games are crunchy. Like you don't have to do a lot of numbers analysis and min-maxing and thinking like that. Um, it is something that's much more accessible if you're more oriented toward narrative stuff. Yeah, and there's also the other thing that I super, super love about this is that there's, like, a low percentage chance that anytime you have an encounter, it might be, like, an epically legendary encounter. So, for instance, um, there are these cards that either say, like, elephant graveyard or, like, lion or, like, giant fish. And if you're on the right terrain tile when you pick up that card, then you have that encounter. And then it just feels like, oh, my God. They're going to have an encounter with a big fish. So then uh, got eaten in one of those scenarios. <laughs> I think I I did not. I was not respectful to the elephant graveyard. But it worked out for me just fine because I'm a DP person. <laughs> and then um, there, someone got whisked away to this secret insane land. And they, were, they like prayed for their gods to help them in. And then... Uh, I think more or less just passed out and became crazy which is awesome <laughs> because then other people get to make your choices for you when mm-hmm. you when that when you become insane um and that just makes the game funnier because you're like <laughs> oh a poor a poor beggar yeah you're gonna you're gonna try to purchase them as this, you're gonna like try to i'm gonna try to steal from them i'm gonna <laughs> attack them and, you, and then they're like i don't want to do that and you're like well, you're, you're insane you're so insane. <laughs> you, i don't know why you did it you did it um so it's so again, for, good. for people who, who don't play a lot of games, there's not a lot of onus on them to do a lot of thinking, mm-hmm. and they can still have a good time. Yeah. Um, another game for people who enjoy a different kind of thinking and don't necessarily have a big background in board games is this game called Lords of Waterdeep. Woohoo! So Lords of Waterdeep is a game that is also fairly accessible to people who don't play a lot of board games, but... It's this, less oriented towards story and more towards kind of numbers and mechanics. This is like primo, top of the crop, intro to board game, board game. Especially kind of like strategy, victory point, competitive board games. Mm-hmm. So so think like Ticket to Ride or like Lords of Settlers of Catan. Yeah. Like Lords of Waterdeep is in that company of types of games. Yeah. So it's, it's a type of game called a worker placement game, uh, which if... Folks have heard of Agricola or something like that. Or like Stone Age. Yeah, similar. Um, And basically the idea is that there's a board and each person has workers that they use that they can place on certain spaces. And when they do that, they get some kind of benefit, some kind of resource usually um, or similar uh, benefit. And then uh, the other... (laughs) Cubes, which are nice components. Uh, And then the other big rule for these kinds of games is when you choose to go onto a space nobody else can go there for that round yeah so it's it's just as much tactically about what you want to do as reading the board and the other players and what they want to do and kind of blocking them from doing that so you might want gold the most but you know that no one else wants gold and everybody needs the black cubes that you also need so you should pick those black cubes and then you'll be able to get the gold gold later Nice, you misestimate it, and then someone else ends up taking the gold, and then you go, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, and this and this brings up an interesting dynamic that happens to uh, me and Brian a lot when we're playing board games uh, with other folks, um, which is actually kind of a fun balancing mechanic in some ways, because <laughs> Brian and I play a lot of board games and video games. And we're just kind of, our, our minds are both naturally oriented toward thinking in along the lines of the ways that a lot of games are designed and also we have a lot of practice doing it so if if all else was held equal generally speaking we tend to be at least competitive for winning the game if not basically winning the game um given given that there there's some kind of 
reward for thinking strategically. Um, so what happens when <laughs> Brian and I play together is we basically spend the entire game trying to sabotage the other person. <laughs> so there, there was a long time where uh, every, every time we would play a game with a group of people, uh, I, I wouldn't focus very much at all on winning. I would just focus on making sure Brian did not win, uh, which did not make it fun for Brian necessarily, but it certainly made it fun for the other folks because then <laughs> Brian was not crushing them at every turn. Um, Listen, I learned to crush people from my grandma who would never let me win a game. You got to earn it. <laughs> well, you got to earn it. And then sometimes other folks just constantly stop you from being able to reap what you sow. But this time, this time I got, to, I got to sabotage Ben here. Yes. Uh, so which I was, was very fun for me. Yeah, I was, I was cruising to a, a decent... Such engine. a good engine. Just yeah. like phenomenal. So... In addition to so base so uh, a bit more about this game, there's a loose D and D theme, whatever. Um, but basically, you get these quests, and they say, "Here's what you need to complete it." And when you complete it, you get this reward. Yeah. So, so sometimes they give you some some different colored cubes. Sometimes they give you money. Most of the time, they give you victory points, and you're spending cubes or money to do this. So a quest might be you have to spend four black cubes, a white cube, and a purple cube. Once you do that, you get like twenty points. Or whatever. Um, so that that's ju- the general structure of the game. Um, sometimes there are quests you can complete that are called active quest or plot quests, mm-hmm. um, and they stay out during the game, so they're worth less victory points, but they generally give you a buff for the rest of the game. So, for instance, Ben had one that said, "Whenever you whenever you place your person and you get black cubes for it, also take two money." So that meant that he was just better at taking black cubes than everybody. And then he also had a card that says, when you take money, also take black cubes. So he was really good at doing black cubes and money. So um, each of the cubes are like thematically one particular thing. So like blacks are like rogue, sneaky people. So Ben was really good at doing the like underworld, like pay thieves to go rob people thing. Um, And then I, there's this other element of the game. So you fill up the board and then once someone goes there, you can't go anywhere. There's also, um, I think one of the really cool mechanics of the game is there's this place called Waterdeep Harbor where three different people can put their pawns. And when you're there, you get to play an intrigue card. So there's these quests that are related to cubes and money. Um, then there's then there's these intrigue cards. So you have a hand of intrigue cards. When you go to Waterdeep Harbor, you can play them. And they're, they're okay. Sometimes, well, most of the time it's just like, you get an orange cube and then everybody else can give you an orange cube for like two points. So they're like very minor things, like little passive buffs you can give to yourself. Um, and then the, the advantage of going there is that you can, after everybody's placed all their people, the things in Waterdeep Harbor get to then place again. Mm-hmm. So you basically get to have, it's a, it's a, you have a partial turn knowing that you'll sacrifice your turn order for getting to place them again. So it, if you do it right, you can get a lot of those passive buffs. Mm. Um, but I stuck Ben with, there's a nice couple of intrigue cards called mandatory quests. So Ben had to complete my quest before he could complete any other quest. And it was three cubes that he hated and was never going to get. So he had to spend like three different turns getting them and that ruined all your momentum. Right. And then I think that stopped Ben from winning. So good job, Brian. <laughs> and, and that's fine. Like the... <laughs> the uh, the way that I, I play competitive games tends to be sort of like do the best you can with what you have. Um, and generally I'm, I'm competitive for for kind of like middle middle of the pack to like top of the pack stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I think that my experience of, of playing competitive games with people has been uh, at worst people get like really stressed and overwhelmed and like uh sometimes like really like bitter and competitive and stuff in ways that are kind of ugly um but uh and this it's sort of to to put on my pretentious hat for a sec it's a little bit of an allegory for for life and and capitalism and no no no, take it off take it off (laughs) the hat is coming off everybody (laughs) don't stop listening (laughs) um but yeah so so the the idea that like sometimes you just need to look at what's in front of you and and see given your situation what the best thing you can do is um and 
not worry about what other people are doing, not worry about what you could be doing, just what can you do right now? Um, and when I got stuck with a mandatory quest, just like, okay, well, i got to work through this, and then I'll keep trying to get the best score I can, and that's that's the game. Um, and that mentality has definitely helped me, because there have been some times <laughs> when I've been actively trying to win a game, and that's been like the what my mind is entirely focused on, and that does get kind of overwhelming. No, but this, I mean... Part of the this game ends up being, it's it's like max an hour. If you know how to play, it goes even quicker. Um, so it's I mean it's pretty light. Even though, even though there's thinking, at, on any turn you're gonna have not that many choices. Especially as people place their things on the board, then you have even less choices. So it's it's a game that's hard to be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it it generally encourages a more jovial atmosphere around the table. It's not like one of those you're in for a two-hour board game thing, someone does something in turn three, that means for the next hour and a half you're irrelevant. It's not one of those kinds of games. Look at you, Game of Thrones board game. Not for Ben and I. Not for Brian. Whatever. Um, I'm not Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Whip. 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 Yes, indeed. It's like the creative without the drought. It's like the joint without the gout. It's like the gout without the ill it's like the sword without the quill it's like the quill without the ink pot (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't ready for myself to say the word pot well it seems easily avoidable but it wasn't it's like the quill without the ink pot it's like the robot without the think pot speaking of you not being ben yeah what's the segue you you went to some concerts that was uh not what i would have done with my time but it's super cool what you did with your time well thank you very much yeah i so i saw three concerts this last week um i saw as i mentioned before the wombats san fermin and the killers um all were absolutely amazing all those bands are awesome i've seen them multiple times now i think the killers are four the wombats are now three and San Fermin's now also three. Um, these are three of some of the most fun bands that I've ever seen live. The Wombats, uh, they have so much energy. Uh, we, uh, I went with Carrie, uh, who, who's an awesome board game person, and we were up front and had a ball just jan- dancing up and down right in front of the bassist, who was also jumping all over the stage like a <laughs> crazy person. Um, and they played all these great songs some of them have that like old they they play a song that you loved in high school and then you lose your stuff black out and then realize three minutes have passed and you have no idea where you are <laughs> um so there's a bit of that but even like their new stuff sounds really nice and like give me a try and pink lemonade these are songs that like i hadn't necessarily super connected with but then once i heard them live now i'm going back and listening to them and being like oh this is amazing oh my God, why have I not been <laughs> listening to this constantly all the time in my whole life? Um, so it was just really, it was like pure fun. That game, that band is pure fun. Their biggest song is a song called Let's Dance to Joy Division, um, which is awesome because the refrain is just, let's dance to Joy Division and celebrate the irony. Everything is going wrong, but we're so happy. That's just awesome. And then the, the, the like end bit where... You're just kind of like dancing and singing along to the thing is, um, I found the love to, uh, let the love tear us apart. I found the cure to a broken heart. Let it tear us apart, which is awesome because it's a Joy Division lyric. Love will tear us apart. Yo, it's good. Uh, spoiler alert, it's awesome. Album two is also amazing. I didn't even talk about album two, but it's got like Techno Fan 1996 and like, it was just really good. They covered like a little bit of everything. It was just really fun. Um, so that was one. Two is San Fermin, um, who were my most listened to artist on Spotify in 2016. Uh, so I'm clearly super obsessed with them. Uh, they were they were my last year's public service broadcasting before last year. So, but you know, figure it. That's that's not too dense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but they're they're super nice. They're like an eight piece band that have a bunch of really fun instruments like. Uh, Barry Sax, like literally in every song. There's the violinist, there's the trumpeter, um, there's like guitar. And then they, the, the really cool thing about them is they switch between two lead guitar, two lead singers. 
Um, and one is Alan Tate, who has this really amazing deep voice uh, that, and he has these like usually pretty heavy, like, really awesome, intense emotional songs like Methuselah. And then there's uh, a female lead singer, and she sings these like really awesome like poppy songs like Sonsick um, and and uh, Jackrabbit and th- and they they more or less like switched in the concert like every other. Uh, so there's this really cool, like, you got, like, a s- completely different stream of, like, song into song. They were so different from each other. Uh, and they sound so full, and there's so much stuff going on. You could pick a place, listen to it, and be blown away. Um, not to mention the number of times where everybody else stepped back and let the Barry Sax player step forward and mm-hmm. have, like, an awesome solo. <laughs> was Like, who does that? It was so cool. Um, they're, they are just phenomenal. The last time I saw them obviously was uh my my mom was in town and we went with my brother and a couple friends here and it was it it was just magical um and they're definitely they're on my short list of bands that i will see no matter what in any circumstance constantly always yeah um and and your your mom loves woodwinds and that's not a usual thing for the bands that most people listen to but i think also true for the ones that you listen to yeah because there's something almost orchestral about how intricate so um more so than any other band i know if you know about san Fermin, then you know that they're kind of they're the brainchild of this one person who composes all the music um and almost specifically writes specific songs for the lead singers he knows from life and he's like alan listen like I wrote this album and you need to sing it. Like I wrote these songs for you to sing. Like this doesn't work with other people's voices, but your voice is crazy. Um, so yeah, there's there's something about these the way these pieces uh, interlay with each other that is unlike anything else I've heard in music, mm-hmm. um, and is really special. I mean, um, the the way I mean the chemistry. It's kind of I think I explained this to you a bit before, but. Um, when I saw Broken Social Scene in Toronto last year, there was this amazing thing where if you looked at any two people on stage, you'd be looking at two people who have chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt I feel like that with Sam Fermin, although I will say that the violinist and the baritone, Barry Sachs, they have like all the chemistry. It's nuts. They are, they are on the same wavelength. A lot of times when they're, the Barry Sachs solo happens, the, the violins there is the counterpoint as like the high to the low mm-hmm. um and yeah there's the, the drummers like constantly excited and then and yeah everyone is just really happy in that band they were playing a brooklyn show and they're from they live in brooklyn uh it was just insane and yeah i would never miss them mm-hmm. I, I never will miss them if they're in town i will see them mm-hmm. uh and, and the, then yeah and then i also the, those happened and then i also went to philly this weekend to see the killers uh with my buddy judy from the obama campaign um and if you're unfamiliar with the killers who are you <laughs> <laughs> they i they pretty much sold out this the like arena they were playing um and it was incredible they're insanely amazing showmen uh brandon flowers who's the lead singer is amazing i have no idea how he does that every night and still has a voice because he's an amazing he's he's one of my so for me the best thing a band can do is have a lead singer who you can feel their emotion constantly always and forever and there's brand flowers does that perfectly Mm -hmm. so in all their songs they have the moments like in uh the river is wild he has those moments where it's like god speed you boy and you can just he, there's so much there mm-hmm. there's so much depth to it um and and it's so necessary because if you're going to be projecting your emotions into songs like i always do that's critical mm-hmm. and the killers have they're they're at the five or six album mark at this point uh and they have just so much content where they were they'd be playing a song like spaceman and i was like oh that's right they do they did write spaceman um and it was just it, the set was awesome they played so many good songs. It's kind of it's a bit like the phenomenon I was telling you when I saw Spoon back in November, where I realized I liked every single Spoon song. It's not quite as intense with the Killers. There's definitely like 
primo tier killers and then there's other killers but it's all really good and mm-hmm. um for to to like a band enough to want to see them perform for two hours is a pretty high bar and the killers cleared it so easily um i mean yeah i mean between like smile like you mean it and uh yeah all these things that i've done somebody told me mr brightside all of which were played and all of which are on hot plus which might be my favorite album of all time definitely the first indie album that i was in love with so it changed my entire life um (laughs) And then you got like second album, awesome ones. Like they played The River is Wild, which is amazing. They played For Reasons Unknown. And oh, they also played Andy, You're a Star. It was just amazing set list. They played um, I Can't Stay from Day and Age, which is my favorite song from that record. I've heard. I, they played it and I was like, oh, I forgot. I listened to the song like 30 times a day when it came out. It was amazing. <laughs> um, they were just awesome. And, and their stage setup was really cool. They, they have... It's just really nice. There's, uh, <laughs> we were talking about it, and Judy had mentioned that she was only a few songs in when she realized that her voice was like starting to go because <laughs> all these songs we know super well. And yeah, even the new album sounds really good, like Wonderful, Wonderful, and Run for Cover, and The Calling. These these songs were especially awesome live and in a big arena. Uh, there's, I've only been to two arena shows. It was this and Muse. Um, and it, you kind of you really need to love the band to do it because there's a lot to it. But there's also something about we had seats where we could see pretty much the whole arena. So the moments when you know we were doing back to forth arm motions or um, everybody put on their phone lights right before the encore, those moments are pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Where you stop and you realize that you're in a room with over ten thousand people and you're all like shouting and you're louder than the super loud mic system for. Like when you were young and Mr. Brightside, that's amazing. That's a high that is hard to replicate. Yeah. I recently lost the ability to close my mouth. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's like the tree without the branch. It's like the pasture without the ranch. It's like the ranch without the dressing. It's like the plan without the messing. It's like the messin without the up. It's like the greeting without the sup. You know what's not a concert? Hand of Fate 2. Hand of Fate 2 is not a concert. It's a, <laughs> it's a beat booper. It's a video game. Um, so we've, we've kind of talked around Hand of Fate 2 a lot, but uh, we decided this is a good week to dive into it. Um, so Hand of Fate 2 is the sequel to a game called Hand of Fate, which what? was something that... Yeah, news totally, to me. Totally illogical. Wow. I don't know why they do that. These I days. really like that game. I'm glad it got a sequel. <laughs> um, so yeah, speaking of which, we did really like Hand of Fate. Um, <laughs> both Hand of Fate and Hand of Fate Two are games that sort of blend a lot in one experience. Um, so it's part deck builder, part kind of real time combat, kind of counter system. That's sort of like Batman, Arkham Asylum, or whatever. Um, and it's definitely the the closest that I feel like board games and video games have come to being like a meshed thing together. Yeah, I agree with that. And and that it feels super right and natural. It's not like, oh yeah, we made an app because we could. It's like it feels it's the you know that no there aren't physical components, but it it is there are a lot of board gamey things in this video game, but it all feels very cohesive. Yeah, and it also feels very video gamey. You know, it 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 feels more video gamey than a board game does and more board gamey than most video games do um but it also that's the sound of listeners leaving (laughs) (laughs) but uh the idea for those of you who stayed is that is that um the talking to you future ben and brian (laughs) (laughs) um that the experience of playing hand of fate is is really one where you get to to strategize and and think in a board gamey kind of way while still having a lot of um, kind of randomization and and real time combat and all, all these kind of other more video gamey elements. Um, so what happens is basically uh, you're sort of like at the end of time playing this this strange adventure driven game with this character called card game. Yeah, card game. 
with this character called the dealer the dealer who's this sort of masked arabian strange mythical being and most importantly amazingly voice acted oh yeah one of the best voice acted characters i've ever seen in a video game uh who when when they laugh at you oh you nothing hurts more you feel it deep um (laughs) but but yeah they're basically laying out these scenarios for you they're sort of like your own personal dungeon master and they take you on these adventures and uh, what you do is you kind of build into your deck what kinds of encounters you could have. And then as you play yourself out, you have to monitor your food supply and your your money. And you take you have all these twists and turns and adventures. It's a, it's a bit of an interesting uh, comparison point with Tales of the Arabian Nights. Because even though you don't have as much agency on, on how scenarios play themselves out sometimes, um, there are these situations where you're, you're faced with a cool little setup and you have to choose, you know, do you uh, talk to the people or do you attack them or whatever. Um, and and it does uh, have this cool uh, set of systems that it uses, especially the sequel of Hand of Fate 2, where any given uh, problem is, is solved through either a dice rolling challenge or sort of like sort of poker-ish or something um dice poker or uh you have to like select from a a spinning wheel sort of like a gambling thing which ben is really good at because he played a lot of pokemon back in the day yeah (laughs) pokemon slot machines for so many hours um it's honestly it's amazingly fun (laughs) to watch ben do it because you get to watch his head move in (laughs) with the wheel and you see his eyes go and it's like pretty impressive to watch me play something like dark souls that i've sung about the time and (laughs) this is this is is definitely better um um, there's like a swinging pendulum you have to stop it at the right time when it hits a bottom thing there's these combat galleries where you basically get teleported into the card basically and then there are enemies you have a character who's to fight and there's no there's no camera it's not super intense combat but you have an attack and a block and a and a dodge and you have to kind of like beat everybody up and the one that you're forgetting probably because we're the worst at it is the card shuffle <laughs> uh so it's the, it's you know the like classic ball in the cup shuffle around which one has the ball it's basically they have right. one of those except ben and i are just so, so terrible <laughs> it's, it's it admittedly is kind of hard because it's taking the idea of like a, a 3d cup thing and making it just on a 2d screen so it's hard to see which order things get shuffled in um but again the way that we like to describe it is it's sort of like random chance with a little bit of of skill involved yeah um so it's not purely random because when you do win a lot of times you're like oh i feel good about this but then when you lose you're like well i didn't have a good sense of it <laughs> which is probably really well designed gambling games work. right exactly um but it's really cool that you're doing that as you uh there's always a path of cards laid out and as you move on to the new card you have a new encounter so you're moving through this physical location through cards and having these encounters and um, the best part of the thing, I think almost even, is that some a lot of times you'll see a card has a little chit on it, um, which which signifies that if you resolve this card correctly, then you'll get like a booster pack of cards that you can then add to your deck and get more story so out of. Which is as we as we said, if a game encourages us to be stupid, it's amazing. <laughs> so a lot of times we will throw away an entire run of our like twenty five minute game. And we'll we'll see that shit and we'll go, okay, everything is, give them 50 food. I don't care. Make it happen. (laughs) Right. Um, Which is, which is, again, uh, setting up this idea that it, this game, Hand of Fate 2, even more than the original, is set up so that every adventure feels like a unique adventure to go on. Um, So you have the setups like, uh, you're you're trying to figure out who stole this object or who's about to assassinate this person or you know to prepare an army for an invasion or whatever um, and the entire experience of the kind of meta game changes a lot um, but then each of the micro cards that you step on have narratives of their own and that's what we talk about kind of throwing away a run so that no matter how much you're in a good position to prepare the fort for an assault you're like Oh my God! Like the maiden is inviting me, like to go down this this pathway. Like I gotta follow the maiden. Like we might not get back here. 
Um, but the potion of youth might help me give me that 60 points I have missing in health. But if I give it to the maiden, maybe something good will happen. <laughs> maybe something good will happen. That's another piece. You're not even sure. Right. You just do, you're like, I don't care. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we talk about the idea of God runs where kind of like, you throw you you quote unquote th- are risking it all at least if not throwing it all away on one card <laughs> and then suddenly you get these huge rewards and suddenly you have all of the resources you need to win the the big scenario and you're like go 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 like let's do it this time um, and and those are some of the most exciting moments in Hand of Fate and that uh, this game really I I think it 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 really nails that like um, as we're playing it just feels really nice. Um, yeah, I, it's just a really nice game. It's not a huge time commitment, so the game isn't insanely big itself. There's definitely plenty to play in it, but if you want to finish the scenario, you can do that in like 30 minutes usually. You'll, you'll, you might have to play it more than once to win, but usually if you play it one or two times, you'll get a sense of how the scenario works and then figure out how to beat it. Um, and yeah. So we had talked about wanting to mention a bit about visual novels and uh, specifically Butterfly Soup and this game called Dream Daddy, which we've mentioned before. Dream Daddy. <laughs> and, that, and that other voice you're hearing is our first podcast guest, uh, my sister Becca, who we've mentioned before. Uh, and Again, as, as a little background, Becca has... Let Becca background herself. Okay, fair enough. So I, I'll hand the floor over to Becca and give a little uh, intro of, of uh, who, who she is and, and what, how she feels about games and culture of all kinds. Uh, and yeah, take it away. Hello. I just woke up from a nap, so <laughs> I'll do my best to say things. Um, I... So we're talking about visual novels. But you can just talk about you. Like oh. a quick, like... Hi, I'm Becca. <laughs> <laughs> I study... I'm a senior at Bard College. I study studio arts. And something about me is that I have felt stupid for a while because I felt... It's really hard for me to engage with books, like fiction. Don't even get me started on nonfiction. Um, but... I've recently found that I have a much easier time as a visual learner engaging in reading comic books and graphic novels and manga. So that's something that's been really exciting for me and just exploring the ways in which those can be super complicated and interesting ways of telling stories and representing different types of characters and people. Absolutely. And and uh, what what's your feelings about games in general? What have you felt since you were growing up with me in, in a home oh i'm ben's sister i think they said that like <laughs> five times already but uh well i i guess yeah I, I ben and i have talked about how i always had like the character design element was really interesting to me i always used to really like playing with dolls and Currently, as an adult, I like to play around with like different modes of visual self-expression, um, playing with like different uh, signifiers of like masculine, feminine, and things like that, and just like being colorful and trying to just wear things that I find fun and uh, playful and stuff. So I always liked like the character design portion of different games. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and you and I played through a game recently, which uh, we just sang about, called Dream Daddy. Um, so uh, can you tell a bit about what your experience of that game is and and uh, why you find it engaging? If you do. Um. Yes. So I really liked Dream Daddy. Um. I liked. Uh. I don't know. I. Well, yes, there is a part where you design your daddy, and that was super fun. I, my name is Becca, and I designed my dad to be Becco, with an O at the end instead of an A, so the daddy looked kind of like me. I have green hair, so I had my dad with, like, 
similar length green hair um but with a big belly um (laughs) but something that my cousin emma and i found while we were playing it yesterday was that which i hadn't picked up on but that there are three there are six different options for body type and the top three are like underwear or like boxer dad or something but the bottom three options which are like muscular um heavier set person um with a belly a very lovable belly (laughs) and um the third option is for like more of a a thin person um but the three options on the bottom all say binder bod so they're for if you want to be a trans daddy which is super 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 cool absolutely excited about that and and uh can you can you talk uh, a bit in your words about what this game is and and uh, why you like it. Um, so it's you're playing as a dad, and it's about kind of just the a very kind of like you know casual experience of being a dad. Um, and just balancing the relationship with your teenage daughter and also having a dating life, dating other dads. Um, and, and and what do you like about that? Um, I don't know. I liked, I mean, it's really cool because um, it just is a very, like, kind of sweet um like mm, it if it's a game that feels like it like likes people and believes in people and there's that definitely like is a really strong um like overarching tone there's a lot of like kind of silly kind of like cynical self-deprecating humor um like in the conversational pieces but like there are these really sweet moments where you connect with another dad or you connect with your daughter or your daughter is having a hard time and you're having trouble getting through to her, um, which are very human and um, full of a lot of love and kind of challenges of connecting to people or joys of being able to connect to people. Um, and yeah, as, and also as someone who like has a lot of insecurities it's kind of fun to have your character like also be someone who's like has a lot of insecurities or like it just feels even though it's like super silly and like very punny and stuff it's just kind of feels like oh pretty much everyone is kind of like that so it's cool but and then and obviously it's really cool that um it's giving like it's showing a three-dimensional portrait of um a man who dates other men and uh also like your daughter is not white she's of color and whatever race you think your dad she's still the same um skin color so it's cool that it's like she's a super three-dimensional like young girl of color and you're a super three-dimensional um like queer gay daddy so it's really cool to see that type of representation and have it treated so like playfully, but also like super three dimensionally and like lovingly. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also an interesting counterpoint to this game, Butterfly Soup, which is similar in some ways and different in others. Where it's also this inclusive uh, story about uh, queer characters who are using self deprecating humor a lot and have a lot of insecurities, uh, and they're. Um, kind of coming into their own sexuality and figuring out who they are and who they love and uh, how to grapple with their personal life and their professional life and, and a lot of other things. Um, but the, the major, major difference in terms of structure is that one is a pretty pure visual novel, Butterfly Soup. You play it through and it's the same every time with very minor variations in terms of dialogue choices. 
versus Dream Daddy is other other than these kind of playful mini games scattered throughout. Uh, the real gamey part of it is it's a dating sim. You kind of have this uh, range of options of who you want to to be with, and and then you can choose as the player how your dad connects to other dads and which elements of of your dad you want to bring out the most. So Ryan, we just we just finished a playthrough today of of Dream Daddy where we connected with a character who in other playthroughs I've had the dad just didn't connect to them at all. For example, in mine. Yes. Yeah. My dad didn't vibe with this dad at all. Let's just say he uses the word bro a lot. But <laughs> all right, I see we're skirting around the issue at hand. Yeah, okay, he uses the word bro. But at the same time, Kegstan Craig is a good dude. <laughs> And we really bonded, and we made kissing, and it was good. <laughs> well, again, it's it's uh, it's all about how you see your character reflected in your partner. So whether you see your dad as being a little more intellectual, or a little more physical, or a little bit more of a rebel, or a little bit more of kind of like the the like lazy, stay at home, safe person, or however you see your dad, um, you really. Uh, follow different paths about who you want to spend time with and who you end up falling in love with. And Alan Frowning, our dad, <laughs> uh, not Becco, Alan Frowning. Um, Alan, Alan and Craig had a, ended up having this really nice, beautiful thing where they were both kind of challenging each other to be better mm-hmm. and were growing. Not And it wasn't like in a negative way, it was in a growy way. So I think they're... And it's cool because... Even these weird characters we mentioned last time, someone's a vampire, and obviously we would never go on a date with them. <laughs> They're not a vampire. But, <laughs> I went on a date with them. Uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but these most of the characters, you go on a date with them, and then you, you really see how these two people could connect. Um, and then it's kind of like, how much do you see that connection? What do you, How tangible does it feel? And then you can go with it, and then you get like the full dimensionality of who that person is when you go on the third date with them. And mm-hmm. the game is makes a big thing of like, oh, well, you know how big a third date is. <laughs> Basically married. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's really awesome to see games becoming more inclusive of more stories and, and to more players. Um, and I just know I work with kids and, um, I was uh, working at the summer camp for teenage girls resettled as refugees in Austin, Texas. And most of the girls were, a lot of the girls were Muslim. All the girls in my reading circle had brown skin. And we got to read this comic book for reading circle called Ms. Marvel, um, which is about a 16-year-old Pakistani girl who's Muslim. And she also finds out she's a superhero. And I won't go into too much about that, but it's just like, before we started the book, we talked about uh, the favorite books and movies of the girls in the group, and they all listed girls with, or sorry, books and movies with like traditionally white female characters. And the books in most of like the illustrations I've seen, they're white. Um, and we talked about issues of representation and how it makes them feel when they don't see themselves represented in media. And um, yeah, so it's just it means a lot, like even just like it's it's important to to have a balance between games like dream daddy which don't like are not explicitly like talking about like homophobia and like uh oppression of like queer people um and trans people if you're a trans daddy um and issues of racism like having a daughter with brown skin whether or not your dad is you choose to have them have brown skin. Um, it's important to have stories and narratives talking about those things, but it's also important to have stories and narratives that tell like a very kind of everyday life of someone who's just, you know, trying to date and trying to connect to their daughter. And like, so it's, I find that's really important to have a balance. So I'm glad that Dream Daddy exists, but I wouldn't want it to be the only like narrative about a gay dad that exists because. It is more complicated than that in some people's experiences. I would assume a lot of people's experience who have different identities um, that Dream Daddy explores. Um, 
so yeah absolutely is, it's complicated and but i'm glad dream daddy exists it's just other stories need to exist too yeah. mm-hmm. and and yeah that's what's so exciting is that we are kind of in this new exciting uh moment in in video games where uh the development has become more accessible to more people and suddenly you do get people who want to tell a narrative that kind of normalizes the experience of being a person who lives with oppression versus games that are specifically talking about some of those larger challenges and trying to depict them and it's just a really exciting time to dig into games as a medium and see where where these new experiences are going also the writing is amazing yeah absolutely so that that doesn't hurt either nah and that's so that's we beat the agenda we did take it. that agenda take that agenda win condition How's podcast that? finished <laughs> that wasn't a jingle <laughs> daddy. daddy so that's episode six uh insert the stuff i usually say in a podcast here bye